I'm Jen Taylor Skinner. This is Wagatwe Wanjuki. And this is Black Women 2020, your one-stop shop for 2020 election coverage from the perspective of Black women. In this special mini-episode, we talk about Kirsten Gillibrand's departure from the 2020 race and what her campaign meant for women, especially what it meant for survivors, survivors of sexual assault and sexual harassment. So here's my conversation with Wagatwe Wanjuki. So speaking of the 2020 race, something big happened this week. Oh, two, two big things happened this week. And I know you wanted to talk about them. Um, Kirsten Gillibrand, she dropped out of the 2020 race. Yeah. And so she's not going to be, obviously, she's not going to be in the next debate. But then the, the, the list of candidates who are going to be on the next debate stage came out. So there are the two big developments. So what, what are your thoughts on Kirsten Gillibrand? Oh, I'm so sad. Um... I have a lot of feelings about it, right? Because I, you know, I've, I've been a fan of hers in terms of like her activism and uh, supporting survivors. I've met her a few times. So I've spoken at her state office. And I've also spoken on the Hill about campus sexual assault. And so I know that she's been in it and I know that she cares, you know, as much as a constituent, well, I wasn't her constituent, but like as much as an activist can, you know, assess, right? I'm saying that. That um, she's just been a really great example of what it means to believe survivors and be consistent and be willing to do the right thing, even when it's unpopular and it's going to cost you something. Because I don't think she should have been the first woman to have dropped out, basically, is my my sentiment. She wasn't my top choice, but I think we do need to acknowledge, right, the Al Franken stuff really screwed her over in the sense of like the media coverage about her was almost always around Al Franken and it was very much like singling her out. The establishment Democrats, you know, a lot of them didn't give her money. And I think that definitely affected her performance. So I'm bummed, but I'm, I don't know, I'm a little happy. Like I never thought I'd ever see a survivor advocate running for president. And I think that is great that like she set an example and she was still such a great leader to know when to like step down, <laughs> you know, to know when to yeah. back out. I think that takes a really that's a great self-awareness that I love in a leader. Right, right. You know, the thing is, is that I guess you were kind of skirting around it, but it was I mean, I think it's safe to say that it was all Al Franken. It was all of that energy around, you know, punishing her for Al Franken. You know, I don't know if there's any way we can quantify that, but, um, you know, like yeah. she was punished for, you know, coming out and asking for Al Franken. Actually, you know, he he voluntarily resigned, right? Yeah. But she was one of 30 plus senators who called for his resignation, right? right. And then, you know, somehow all of that was put on her shoulders. Yeah, I think she was the first one by a few minutes, right? And so- <laughs> right. They just decided to target her, which is just so frustrating because it's just, you know, I think also another aspect is that the field is just so crowded. So I think it would it made it extra hard for her to break out of that Al Franken um, onslaught. And I wouldn't be surprised because I definitely feel like there was there were bots on Twitter definitely like pushing the anti Gillibrand stuff, right? Oh, you took down Al Franken. And a lot of it was genuine too, but I definitely noticed some accounts trying to stir up shit, trolley accounts going around to push that talking point. And I do wonder um, how effective that was. I'm sure it had some sort of influence in a sense at the very least it reflected what 
many people were thinking. Right. Well, when you think about what happened with 2016 and bots, you know, of course it spilled over, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I heard people who were close to me starting to regurgitate those talking points. So, I mean, if there were or are bots behind this, you know, I I think that, you know, there's a historical precedence for, for saying that, yeah, they do actually influence real people. Yeah. But, you know, another thing about Kirsten Gillibrand's campaign ending that really makes me sad is that, you know, I felt like in relation to Black women, her allyship and her advocacy felt genuine to me in a way yeah. that it doesn't feel from a lot of other candidates. And I remember she said something in some interview where she said, you know, she would go into these suburban neighborhoods and talk to white women and explain to them what their white privilege means. And when she said that, you know, I believed her. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree too, because the way that she spoke about it as black women, I'm sure we, we know when a white person's kind of BSing it. Right. And they don't really believe it or they don't fully grasp it. But I felt like she was saying it in her own words in a way that like it was genuine and she knew this sort of framing was necessary. Like she prepared, like she knew. And I, I just, oh, I loved that about her, even if she wasn't like my perfect candidate. I, I just, there's just certain aspects about her campaigning and I think her as a politician that I just really appreciate and I wish there was more of it in our politics. Yeah. And I love your point about the fact that it's sad that she was the first woman to drop out. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, considering that this is an election, I'm always torn by this when people say, oh, this is the first time we've had so many women run. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Kirsten Gillibrand has dropped right. out, but we have other women in the race who have not who have some really problematic views, like, you know, being an anti-vaxxer and also Tulsi Gabbard, who has, and I'll talk about this later because I really Mm want to get into this, has a really troubling past in relation to, you know, homophobia and Mm -hmm. transphobia. Like that is, anyway. Yes. Um, Yeah. And also, you know, I think Gillibrand had the problem of like, we still have a really sexist media, right? Like we still have majority, like, bourgeois white dudes cis straight dudes telling us what to care about and how to think about it like last night I think right before I passed out it was really funny (laughs) I was I like glanced at Twitter and or I think it was the last thing I looked on Twitter because I've been working on not looking at my phone right before before I go to bed so this is like the last thing I saw on Twitter and that's when I was like I'm going to bed um it was just sort of like Warren's doing increasingly well, despite not having these, um, you know, despite not having mega donors. Will it pan out? And it's like every single time they still can't even just be like, hey, Warren's doing well. They're just, is it going to keep happening? Blah, blah, blah. And it just feels like there's still that that double standard, I feel like. Doubly so for Gillibrand, you know, she talked about empowering women and girls, right? Like talk about reproductive rights and reproductive justice. And I think she fully believed her, what her campaign was about. And I think that, and it was helpful, right? It's like a genuine lens that of course I would be really into. So um, she's made mistakes and in terms of like, I think the only thing I can think of is the one big mistake is like she released a legislation in regards to like opioids it was really restrictive and people got really upset. But then one thing I appreciate is, you know, she was like, we heard you. We're going to reassess. And so I think that's really all I want from a leader, right? Someone who can hear, you know, who can be like, okay, people are pissed off. Uh, let me reassess. Yeah. 
So, well, that's that, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. R.I.P. Kristen Gillibrand, yeah, R.I.P. Or Kristen Gillibrand, if you're listening, thank you so much for everything you've done. I know she's not listening, but yeah, you know. maybe, maybe <laughs> she follows me on Twitter. <laughs> she does, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> so maybe and I left a comment on her Instagram so I'm, I'm trying yeah. <laughs> so speaking of advocates I want to talk about because you'd mentioned to me earlier about Bernie Sanders had a plan to roll back Betsy DeVos's Title IX changes. And I want to yeah. talk about that, but I know and I know that this is your area of expertise, and a lot of people like myself aren't really clear on the details of, of what Title IX is. So can you tell us what is Title IX? What was Betsy DeVos trying to do? I know it had something to do with, you know, destroying something good. <laughs> um, <laughs> how was she trying to destroy this good thing? And what yeah. is Bernie Sanders doing? Bernie Sanders and announced a new plan and you know it, it was part of a longer list of different reforms right and and plans he's been coming out with um and one part is that he wanted to repeal Betsy DeVos's changes to Title IX or at least the proposed changes I believe they have not been confirmed yet um if I recall correctly but Betsy DeVos, right, new secretary of education, came out with new guidances about changes in terms of how Title IX is enforced around uh, sexual assault. And so or like gender based violence, because Title IX is not just about sexual assault. Um, it's also like domestic violence, you know, gendered um, gender based violence um, and also protecting trans students. But specifically like in ed universities or in educational mm-hmm. environments, right? Like yes, that's what Title education. IX is. OK, got it. Yeah. And so like any any educational place that takes federal funding, essentially. Okay. So that's a little bit of a loophole, but well, you know, that's a whole nother day. But essentially, uh, so some of the changes that she did was just essentially based on the idea of like they're narrowing, they're basically trying to like make it harder and more useless to report. So like they took away the timeline for having speedy investigations, right? Before they're like, okay, schools need to do it within this amount of time. And now um, they took that away, right? And so schools end up not even addressing things because they don't have any guidances. So they basically like reinterpreted the guidelines, the guidances to make it harder, right? It's basically based on this idea that victims are, or people are going to be inherently lying about it. And so it needs to be treated differently. Moving it from preponderance of the evidence to clear and convincing, that's a higher threshold. And so when that sort of stuff happens, it's just... There's already been a chilling effect, like students aren't reporting as much, schools aren't as on top of it. And so it was nice just to see a uh, candidate just, you know, bring up Title IX, even if they didn't go super in-depth into it, even if, you know, I don't know if he like truly understood it and like why (laughs) DeVos's is bad. But um, to be fair, I'll say like Sanders did release a statement on DeVos's Title IX announcement as senator because I Googled and, you know, it was on his website. So at least it's on his radar. That's just something I wanted to shout out in terms of like, I want to see more stuff like this. Like I think that um, the Title IX conversation just, you know, kind of died out, unfortunately, or got dominated by like white conservatives who are old and haven't been on campus in a really long time. Yeah, you know, it doesn't seem like it is within the realm of his political focus. 
Right. right. And that's what seems really confusing to me. I mean, it's great. I'm glad that it's on his radar. There are other people that I would have expected this to come out for first, but, you know, great. You know, I applaud him for that. You know, kudos. But just essentially, so, you know, one of the changes that Betsy DeVos made, and I'm not sure if these are all Obama additions to Title IX, but about not having a timeline. So my assumption is that that means that what they were hoping to do is have those cases run out the clock. Right. Mm -hmm. So universities won't have to act when a sexual assault is reported. Is that the gist? Yeah, basically, right? Because like very often victims drop out or they transfer or the assailant graduates. So it gives them a lot of flexibility, yeah, just to like finagle with the timeline and let things take their course, unfortunately. Right. I just don't understand why a woman would do that, right? Like why a woman would put a policy like that in place or to just make it harder. That's just completely unfathomable to me. But a lot of things that Betsy DeVos does are kind of, you know. Well, I mean, if you're a woman and you're willing to work for a rapist, like, you know what I mean? It's just sort of like, (laughs) I, it was really interesting. Like there was a campaign about reaching out to Betsy DeVos to enforce head on and they're like, hey, like we're taking submissions. I didn't want to tell them. I was just like, I'm not participating in this because she's not going to fucking listen. Like she's not going to care. Like she's completely there to like represent what our rapist of a president wants. And so, yeah, it's uh, the thing is, is also like Title IX is a civil rights law. There are these broader attacks on civil rights laws and education that's been happening from the right. That's been happening for decades. And so there's been this culmination of work to try and undermine it and using these like hot button issues because, you know, the Koch brothers et al. are like really good with this sort of stuff. And so what happened is that Title IX is also about gender. And so if they can, you know, get the foot in the door and get people to think that Title IX is awful and going too far and ruining men's lives because, you know, They ignore that, like, not only men can be assailants and it's not just women being assaulted, you know, like all these things come together. And so it makes it an effective tool to have negative public sentiment against it. So and I also think we need to talk about how much does identity count for it? Because, like, you know, women can be just as bad in upholding rape culture as men sometimes. Right. And sometimes it's worse because you know, they know the vulnerabilities, right? In a way that I feel like it hurts when it comes from your own kind, I feel like in a different way. Yeah. Kind of like that conversation we had last week about Marianne Williamson hiring the person who was banned from Bernie Sanders campaign Mm -hmm. as her, was he her communications director or something or her campaign manager? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. But he was banned from the campaign for, you know, some pretty overt sexual harassment of women on Bernie Sanders campaign and, and, you know, was hired by a woman to work on a presidential campaign. And so that's a really great example of how women can uphold rape culture at really high levels. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think that's the thing. We we can't just depend on every woman to be an ally. And also something I've learned is also you can't expect every survivor to be an ally. Um, you know, I think some of it is that we might have mutual identities, but they don't necessarily mean the same thing to all of us. Right. And I think that's where I've been trying to look is find people where, you know, our, our identities mean the same kind of values. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Black Women 2020 and you want to support greater representation in political coverage and in the media, please show the Black Women 2020 podcast some love. First off, subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. If you're on iTunes right now, just click the subscribe button and leave us a review. That will help us get more traffic and more listeners. Secondly, you can help support the views of Black women by supporting us on Patreon. The Black Women 2020 podcast is independently produced, and anything you can give will help us. Just visit patreon.com slash bw2020podcast. You can help support us with just a few dollars a month. And all of this information is in the show notes. Thank you again for listening to Black Women 2020, and stay tuned for our next episode.